0: Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, be to God indeed. Go ahead and you may find your seats. And if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, you will want to turn in them. We're going to look at this passage primarily this morning. We're going to um, kind of look at it from a, from a high level, but, uh, but I think it's going to be helpful for us to think about our thinking on this last, um, this last installment of this series called Practicing the King's Economy. And we're going to be dealing with the topic of giving and you see the title there is god doesn't need your money but he cares about your giving and i hope to convince you of that before this morning ends if you are not already convinced of it yourself now we've been talking about in this series since the beginning of the year called practicing the king's economy and we've been working at how the gospel transforms our relationship and how our stewardship of the money and wealth that god provides for us and um and, and today we're looking at, in this last sermon of this series, before we jump back into 1 Corinthians next week, um, how the Bible specifically teaches us about the kinds of givers he, we, should, we should be living as, as we bear the image of God in our lives. And I'm aware, as I've already mentioned several times throughout this series, I'm aware of how this particular topic of giving has been so used and poorly used in the church and how it's manipulated in some sectors of the Christian world. Early in my own ministry, uh, uh, I have served in ministry contexts, larger ministry contexts, where ministry and faithfulness were measured by two things. They were measured by one, bottoms in the seats, right? And they're measured two by coins in a coffer, right? And this is very common, unfortunately. It's like that's the only way we can measure fruit in the church. And in fact, that's not the way we measure fruit in the church. It can certainly be something that we take notice of, and certainly it is part of our stewardship. And we're gonna, again, we've been trying to unpack that over the last few weeks. Um, but it, it was always, in my experience, the next big thing that we needed to fund in order for us to show our faithfulness to the Lord. It was always seems like that was always something. If we didn't have something that we were pursuing and normally something that we were giving towards, the people were going to get off track, get, you know, get sideways, and they would get um, somewhat disenchanted. And that was always, it's always like the next big thing. I'm a Southern Baptist by training, and sometimes I'm here as a Southern Baptist because I've been one of all, for as long as I've been in ministry, and sometimes it has its good and it has its bad. Um, but I can assure you, being in Southern Baptist law, uh, life for as long as I have, there's always the new program. Just pay attention to the cycle every year in Southern Baptist life, and it's always the new thing that's going to help us be more faithful, or it's going to help uh, spark us out of our lethargy as a denomination. And the funny thing is, is it never really seems, new programs don't seem to change things per se. But it always seems to go back to these two things, bottoms in the seats and coins in The coffer. And so I've tried to avoid that kind of thinking as we've walked through this series um, on money and draw us simply to the Bible's plain teaching about this very, very important topic. But even so, even with all those manipulations and all those ways in which they tend to be over-realized, I I, I do think that we tend to over-correct to the other side sometimes. And we don't talk about the Bible's very clear teaching on money and particularly on giving and so there's three reflections that i hope that you've heard at least under the radar under the layers of our teaching over the last few weeks that have helped us understand the role of money in our life theologically and particularly this morning on this topic of giving and so i want to touch on them just at the very beginning before we kind of roll into second corinthians 9. Number one is there is something about, and I'm going to specifically talk about giving this morning, there's something about our giving that is deeply connected to our created identity in God. There's something, because there's something in which we are created for, if you think about the cultural mandate, right, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and to be good stewards and to rule and have dominion, all of that has something about God creating us so that we would go and give our lives to his glorious purposes. And so that's what we started this whole foundation of this sermon series on, which is exploring that foundation of being made in his image and how we connect all of our under relationship to money and particularly today our giving to the Imago Dei. And it's, 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 it is a call to be fruitful, it is a call to be multiplied, and that involves every aspect of our lives. It is a call to cultivate, it is a call to steward the earth, it's a call to rule it. And it's, it's impossible whether or not we like it or not it's impossible to disconnect our money our possessions our wealth um, from those things they have everything to do with those endeavors and so that leads me to the second thought that i hope that you've heard throughout this series is that when we neglect the right relationship with money and particularly neglect giving and or begrudgingly give we rob not only god but we rob ourselves of the blessing of participating in god's redemptive purposes there's just it's, so if 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 at the end of the day there's something deeply connected in our identity in christ to how we go about using and stewarding all the good gifts God gives us and the resources he gives us, and we cannot disconnect that from the wealth God gives us, well, then it would also follow that when we begrudgingly have a relationship with money, the opposite is going to end up ensuing, right? We rob not only God, which clearly is stated in Scripture, but we rob ourselves of the glory. And what I mean by that is we rob ourselves of reflecting something of God's nature in our lives, especially those of us who are redeemed, We rob something in ourselves of participating in God's redemptive purposes. We rob ourselves of sharing in God's work in the world. And so at the end of the day, the third thought that kind of flows out of these first two thoughts is only humanity, and specifically the church, those who have been redeemed in Christ, We only we share most richly in this work of Imago Dei, this work of reflecting God's glory to the world. And that's the, that's the motivation, that's the, that's the engine behind everything when it comes to money and giving in our lives. So we can't talk about witness, you and I, we can't do it. We can't talk about discipleship. We can't talk about obedience to God. We can't talk about love of God that is, not rooted, that is rooted in the joy of joy because of the completed work of Christ without the giving of our entire selves, right? And that would include money and wealth. And so this morning, the main topic for this last sermon, the main summary idea that I have is our giving matters because it reflects to the world that we're part of Christ's kingdom and we are endeavoring to live as ambassadors in it. Okay, let me say that again. Our giving matters because it reflects to the world that we are part of Christ's kingdom and we are endeavoring to live as ambassadors in it or of it. Excuse me. So the context of 2 Corinthians 9, which we're going to spend the majority of our time in, particularly 6 through 13, is built on a whole lot of wonderful foundation throughout the rest of the chapter. I don't expect you to have read up until this point. Perhaps you can or you can go back on your own time, but just think about what Paul is building this foundation for this talk about giving to the Corinthian church on. Verses, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, he's sharing with that the, 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 there's a part of this church that's sharing with one another in the bearing of the burden of the suffering of Christ for what? The sake of the gospel. So so he builds off this given, this call to the Corinthian church is built on bearing the burden together and suffering for the sake of the gospel. That is a call to God's people. It is something that will be lived out in our life. And then you jump over to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and we see that this giving is a ministry, that we've been given a ministry of the new covenant. And again, you can go in there and look at these on your own. And because we've been given this ministry of the covenant, when we get to chapter 4, we realize that we, we embrace this ministry of the new covenant because Christians are jars of clay being used and molded for the purposes of God in the world. So again, you see how this is all taking shape, right? We are bearing the sufferings of the world and bearing each other's sufferings for the sake of the gospel because we've been given the ministry of the new covenant. And as we do this, we're embracing the role of being jars of clay, being molded, being shaped, being used as God wants us to be used. In chapter 5, then... We find the big crescendo right there is that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. That is what our ministry is, and it involves our entire lives. Look at verse 17 through 21 specifically. It says there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation—that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us. This is what God does with His church. He's entrusting to us what this new ministry of Imago Dei. We are now new creations, and that involves every aspect of our lives. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world. Um, the world to himself not counting our trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore what we are ambassadors of christ god making his appeal through us we implore you then on behalf of christ be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him he might we might become the righteousness of god so that is the work of the gospel in our life it is to be so identified so, such a new creation that all of righteousness in Christ would be realized in our lives as a display and a demonstration of God's glory in the world. And brothers and sisters, this has everything to do with wealth. It has everything to do with our money. The Corinthians in chapters 7 and 8 were then instructed to make room in their heart for, hearts for Paul's ministry and to give generously toward it. Again, you can read this on your own. And particularly given towards toward the spiritual fruit that was being manifested in Macedonia. So he's there doing this work and he's saying, look, man, um, I, have, I have the right to ask you to support this. You should come and be a part of this work because God is doing something generous and wonderful here in Macedonia. And you get the privilege to be a part of this. And so now live out your faith. Live out the ministry of reconciliation. Become ministers of this new covenant so that Macedonia will be encouraged. Macedonia will be built up. More churches will be planted, that the church itself will be more planted. And I know, he said in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 9, you're eager to do this. It seems like a little bit of a play on Paul, right? When you read that first few verses of chapter 9, it's almost like, I know you're eager to give this, and so I'm going to give you time to make sure you really are eager to do it. Right? Have you ever been there? It's like, it's like it's kind of like a little side play of the pastor. Like I try not to do that kind of stuff, but it feels like that's kind of what Paul's doing. It's like, I know the mess your church has been. We've been working through that in 1 Corinthians. And so I'm going to give you just a minute to catch up to this, okay? And I'm going to give you a minute to be ready for the Macedonian when we come so that you can participate in this. Now, I'm sure he's generous. I'm sure he's ready. Uh, I'm sure the Macedonians again, this is the second letter uh, that Paul has written to the set, to Corinthian church, and he's and he, and he knows the fruit that's been happening in their life. And the second letter is vastly different than the first letter, as we all know. Um, and so that's when we get to chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. And we're going to look at verse 6 through 13 specifically this morning. And we see three things in this text related to giving that are vastly important for us if we do want to become the kind of people that can participate in the, in the work of Christ in the world like what is it that then we should be aware of, and what is Paul instructing here in Second Corinthians, chapter nine, that will actually we can then do what he's instructing the Corinthian church to do? Well, there's three things you see them there in your guide if you've got your bulletin. Um, the first one is the pr- there's a, we got to recognize there's a problem of reluctant reluctance and compulsory reluctant and compulsory giving. There's a problem of reluctant and compulsory. Giving. We see it there in verses 6 and 7. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So he's very clear with them. You know, don't, don't come with this with the poverty ethic. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver. He wants us to give cheerfully. He wants us to be part of this with all joy because we know that's where joy comes from. Not in, not in having all the things and making sure we have all the safety in our own life, but that we actually get to use and multiply the good gifts he's already given us for his purposes. And that's where real joy comes from. That's where real cheerful giving comes from, is being participating in something bigger than ourselves. So there's this problem he deals with here in verses 6 and 7 of reluctant and compulsory giving and what do we what does he mean by that well a lot of people will take this verse and they'll say well see then, pastor don't do anything to urge people to give well that doesn't make sense in the context here does it because paul is actually urging them to give so so compulsory here does not mean that the church is not encouraged to give or the members and church and christians are not called to reflect and think deeply about their giving in these regards. So that would not make sense here. No, what he's dealing with is these two larger problems that tend to happen when you and I think about our giving. It assumes a couple of things. It assumes that God needs something from us. So sometimes we give because I got to give because God needs me to give, right? But Psalm 50, 12 says, no, God doesn't need anything from you and I doesn't need anything from you so that's what paul wants to do if he wants to go don't give compulsory as if somehow or another you think that god needs you to give as somehow or another the ministry of the world hangs in a balance if you don't give to that and we do this all the time i've seen preachers do this a lot it's almost like if you don't give guess what the you know the ministry of the church just will not carry on paul says no he wants to blow up that idea that's a problem with compulsory giving it can lead to the opposite thought though reluctant giving In other words, it's kind of like um, a subtle temptation in us to believe that our giving really doesn't matter because what little bit I actually give, it can't really mean that much to the kingdom. And so he's dealing with reluctant and compulsory giving because there's these two sides of the coin for us when it comes to the negative ways in which we look at our money. We either are giving because we feel like someone has made us manipulated us into thinking, oh my gosh, the kingdom will not go forward if I don't participate here, or that um god doesn't really need my money i mean look at you know you know he doesn't really need my money and neither of these the end of this is neither of the, uh, the either reluctant or compulsory giving truly honor god do they first corinthians 13 says He tells us that if you were to go back and look at that on your own giving that does not proceed from love does not honor god we can do a lot of things you know the clanging cymbal uh our brother tom let us do that back in the fall he doesn't want us to just do things that don't resonate from love. And that would include our giving. We don't ever want to give or not give because we're reluctant or a compulsory kind of perspective. And so when we do give in a reluctant or compulsory way, what happens? It, it doesn't proceed from a heart that delights in God, does it? It doesn't. And that's what we see in verse 7. Giving that, that is merely obedience, doesn't show off our delight and our joy in God. But then he says there at the end of it, that's why God loves a cheerful giver. That's the perspective that we want to be a part of when we're giving to the work that God has called us to. It shows off our joy in God. It shows off our joy in Christ. And so when we allow reluctance to shape our relationship to money and giving and we feel compelled a compulsory way to give it prevents us from experiencing the harvest of god's grace in our lives it just it just does and this is what paul shows off next here wants us to see next in the rest of the chapter is that cheerful giving abounds with actually much grace and that's what we see there in verses verse 8 let's just pick up there and god was able to make all grace abound to you That's what cheerful giving is. God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to make you fruitful in your relationship with your money and your wealth. So that in having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. So in other words, God is sufficient to take everything that you have and use it for his purposes. And you may experience the wealth of grace in that. So that what? You may abound in every good work. It means you are capable because of God's love and grace and his power in you to give because why? Well, we see a couple of things that happen. He is ultimately the chief giver. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The beginning of a power of a cheerful giver, one that abounds in much grace, is that grace is driven by um grace giving points us to god as the chief giver pondering the gifts brothers and sisters regularly on the day in and the day out that god gives and is acting uh, and acting on that through our own giving probably is one of the greatest graces you and i get to participate in and we can ever experience in this life outside of the very grace that we received in jesus grace Abounds in our giving because we recognize at the end of the day it's God who has given us everything we have. Not only the material things we have, the families we have, the relationships we have, the churches, the jobs, all that stuff, but most supremely, He has given us Christ. He has given us Jesus. So a pattern of cheerful giving recognizes that God is chief giver, but also a pattern of cheerful giving recognizes that grace driven giving results in exuberant praise and thanksgiving. That's what He says there next, right? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. So again, that goes back to the last point, right? And increase the harvest of your righteousness. He'll give you everything you need. It's his to give, not yours to give. He's not asking you to resource his kingdom. He's resourcing you to participate in his kingdom. That's what it's all about. But then look at verse 11. And you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but will also overflow in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The context here that we see in Paul, Paul's trying to guide is that, is, that, is that praise and thanksgiving, that is, it, our gifts, and our gifts produce What they produce in us um, when we give them in other words the ministries of the church you and i support the missionaries the church planters the communities that are blessed by the giving that comes through this church and other churches the poor the afflicted that are served they will turn out at the end for exuberant praise in those people's lives it will turn out for our exuberant praise and thanksgiving in our life for having to be able the privilege of being a part of that see the church as john piper says is is so many in so many places in his own writings produces joy it produces a joy in the world and it produces joy in ourselves as we participate in that witness and work right that's what everything john piper writes about is about the fact that you and i pursue joy right that is the one thing you and i do with every ounce of our being and he says when the church does what the church is supposed to do It does turn out for their joy it turns out for the world's joy because they get to hear about jesus and turn to him it turns out for our joys because we get to say look at what god allowed us to participate in so grace-driven giving results in praise and thanksgiving and i don't know about you but i love to see people changed and i love to know that man if if i had some small part in that there's something in me that just really enjoys that not because what i've given matters all that much but because god has in his infinite providence and his infinite love and his infinite grace allowed me to participate in some small way in his unmerited generosity that he's bestowing on those people's lives right that's what we want to see in our cheerful giving i mean what can be better uh, uh, What could be a better platform for sharing the gospel than our generosity? Yeah? What can be a better platform for showing off the generosity of God than our own generosity? I mean, I just, I can't imagine there being anything else. And that's what Paul basically says next. We said it, we just read it just briefly there. Um, Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So when we give... It shows off Jesus. When we are generous with our lives, we show off Jesus. God does not work from our resources. He expands our resources for his kingdom. Does that make sense? He doesn't work from our resources. He expands the resources he's already given us for his kingdom purposes. I mean, friends, we have like the most epic of examples in the Gospels, do we not? I mean, remember the disciples were like, so Jesus, there's like 5,000 people here and you want us to feed them with how many loaves and fishes? We, like, we, we were able to kind of pick up just a handful of fish and a handful of, and you're going to do what? It's just a picture of the fact that God is not dependent. His kingdom, his work of redemption is not dependent on your and our, like, our limited resources. It is he will take what he has given us and he will multiply it for gospel work in the world. And it's just amazing when we get to be a part of that. When we offer our limited resources, he multiplies them in ways that our resources resonate with glory to the nations and provide for the people who give them. And that's the problem, I think, sometimes, right? It's like, okay, God, I'll give. But man, I got, man I, I, I got expenses. It's expensive to raise our children in this world. I mean, have you seen my grocery bill lately? I know you guys feel that one, right? It's true. But grace-driven giving highlights our confession of Christ and it allows us to trust God and he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. See, we can keep all those resources for ourselves, but that doesn't mean we'll ever get what we ever want. But when we are saying, God, this is all yours, he will do whatever, he will do things and ways. Now, that does not mean, and again, I know how this is manipulated, and you all have seen these things manipulated. And it's not just in the prosperity prophets out proffers out there right but it's even sometimes in the mainline evangelical world if you get serious about your giving god is just going to bless you oh my uh, no that's not the way we want to read this text you will be blessed it just may come in different ways and so when you think about second corinthians 9 and you think about this charge that paul gives to the church to prepare themselves And then gives this instruction about the difference between reluctant and compulsory giving versus cheerful giving that's what he's putting these things on display i think at the end of the day what i want to do now is spend the remainder of my time just thinking about practically this is going to be real practical ways and then we'll end on thinking about the generosity of god as we finish up here in a few minutes what are some practical applications for grace driven giving i'll say this a couple of times we bought a bunch of these little guides right here. It's called Why Should I Give to My Church by Jamie Dunlop. It's nine marks. He's a pastor at uh Capitol Hill Baptist Church with Mark Dever. Um, I use one of his little articles in our new members guide. When you come in, you probably will recognize some of the material in here. and This is more expanded than that. But the but the what I have found, I read through this guide several times, and I'm just amazed of like he doesn't really, he, he talks about giving. But he really talks about like the motivation more than the giving. And so we bought like 50 copies of these because these are really pretty cheap. And maybe this is a place where you would say, I I don't know where you are. Maybe you're like, man, I feel pretty good about where I am. And I'm convinced what you're saying. Thanks, pastor. I'm right with you. But maybe there's some people here going, I don't know where to start um and and i and i feel a little guilty because i haven't been where i need to be in this area and i haven't trusted the lord and i just need to know where to start and and i, and I don't need another guilt driven sermon on telling me what i should do differently okay fair enough this will be a really gospel rich little guide, and there's tons of them that little table out there in the hallway. so pick one of these up read through it scan with it talk with your with your spouse about it if you're married um and i'll come back to talk about this a little bit more here in a minute but some of the ideas that are in that i'm about to talk about are kind of loosely related to this particular little guide. I guess the first thing that we want to talk about when it comes to giving is kind of what Paul already has done in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. We, we, we want to be deliberate in our giving. Paul calls the Corinthian church to be deliberate. Get ready. Prepare for it. Be a plan for it. Plan it out. Right? Budget it. But this is, again, we look at budgets, we give you a budget every year, and we say this is generally how we want to. We think the money ministry budget is going to be used this next year. And that's all part of it. But it's hard for us to say the budget when the members and the parts of the church should also budget and plan to be part of that vision as well. When you and I vote that budget in, in December every year, that's also incumbent upon us saying, okay, well, then I'm going to budget my part to make sure I can support that and be a part of that vision for 2024. And that's why we want to be deliberate about it. And, and because at the end of the day, what do we do? Like it, it's, it's, it, it's a first fruits principle, right? I mean, that's what we call it, We see in Scripture, first fruits principle. And first fruits mean that we budget what we prioritize, right? I mean, I know what's in my budget, and I know where things go. And when I don't prioritize the things that matter, things get spent in ways that I, I get out of my control, right? It just so we budget, what we prioritize. Or as John Piper, again, I have to have John Piper in here, right? We plan what we prize. We plan what we prize. It's just as simple as that. So Paul is saying to them, plan what you prize. You say you want to be a part of this. You've, you've indicated that you want to be a part of supporting the work here in Macedonia. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to plan what you prize. So we want to be deliberate in our giving. Two, we want to be focused in our giving. And this is sometimes where some people get like, get off track here. There's any number of things you and I can give our money to in a good way, healthy way. Community initiatives. Uh, ministries parachurch ministries i me and amanda have served have uh, supported um, parachurch folks at different times in our in our ministry we had uh, a friend of mine mike newton who's in Indianapolis. at one time a few years ago we used to help him support when he got first got boots on the ground there but he's not in local church and whatever and that was and that's all fine and dandy but but i, I believe focus giving calls us to local church giving first and i know that's like okay well that sounds very convenient pastor for you to say that right but I, I say that not because it's about this church and our ministry, but first because God, the church is God's means for the work of redemption. Parachurch ministries support that, and they can be supported and they should be supported in various ways to the degree that they are supporting the work of the local church or extensions of it. But God's church is the means by which he extends redemption to the world and so we want to give to that which god has put as the primary means for which the gospel was to be proclaimed again we're ambassadors and how are we ambassadors we are proclaiming the excellencies of him right who called us out of darkness into his glorious light that's what ephesians chapter 3 says what we talked about in our members class this morning right and so local the mission of god is primarily facilitated through local churches through, and when we want to support missionaries and church planters and church starting and all the other different things or do local mission efforts around the community, we do this primarily, hopefully, that we can filter it because we can do more together than we can apart, right? Again, it doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't support parachurch ministries, but I would say, I would, I would argue they should be secondary to the first level focus giving of the local church because this is the place God is has commanded and has promised that he's going to do his most fruitful work of redemption through his people, because we are the display of that, this new community. So I would be careful with niche giving that says, well, you know, I really am really, I'm really really committed to this guy. I really like what they're doing, um, and so I'm, I'm going to divert all my giving to this. And I, I would tell you that I think that's the, the, the opposite way the Bible would instruct us when it comes to focused giving, because, again, our theology must come first. first. And the local church is the embodiment. It is the display, as Mark Dever says in his great book on the God, called The Church. Is the church, local church is the display of the gospel to the world. So we want to make sure the church gets preeminence in our giving. Our giving should also be sacrificial. I know that, right? You and I know that. And obviously, we feel that. Like giving stings. It will sting. And it will be uncomfortable at times. We will feel it. And we will have to forsake some things. Maybe a few coffee runs or a, a particular, you know, maybe you have to stream back your, uh, scale back your streaming lineup that you have in your home because you have like 17 different options out there now for that, right? Or maybe you have to, you can do any number of things there, but giving should be sacrificial because it says ultimately there are some things that are more important, there are some things that are not as important. And there are some things that are just not important at all. And we want to make sure that we give in such a way that it shows, it displays that at the end of the the day, man, Jesus is first in my life. Jesus is first. And so then that leads us to the last part there, generous giving. If we're sacrificial, we want to be generous too. Giving should seek to go above, I think, and beyond where we're comfortable. Um, Because it's a reflection of of the overwhelming generosity God has given to us. I mean, he gave his son. And that's not a backhanded slap, I mean, God's always going to get the upper hand in generosity, yeah? But we want to live in such a way as we recognize that. Right? And so I want to live like that if I can. And this doesn't mean that you and I give blindly, because I've done that before, right? And maybe you've done this like, well, okay, Lord, I can't really afford this, but I'm just going to write the check and I'm going to hope that you provide. And next thing you know is like, oh, wait a minute, like I can't buy groceries for my kids. Like That's not the kind of generosity we're talking about. Generosity doesn't mean just blind faith generosity, and again, our prosperity gospel friends will do this, right? They'll they'll kind of they'll kind of manipulate the poor, especially, and say, "Hey, give to this," you know, and God's going to give you everything you need. And that's not a picture of biblical generosity. Um, but maybe you've been asked, like, "Okay, what does generosity look like?" Well, someone will say, "Well, you know, I've been taught I need to give ten percent." I don't think that that really works. And I'll tell you why I don't think that works. Because at the end of the day, I, number one, the New Testament doesn't talk about 10%, does it? it? It talks about generosity. It talks about cheerful giving. And so therefore, there, but, but I also want to say I, I agree with guys like Alistair Begg and others who will come in and say something like, but, but it's assumed, right? It's assumed giving. It's assumed at 10%. The old, again, you had to get the idea of what tithe means. It means 10%. The Old Testament, like the religious life in, 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 in Israel was, was what? Was funded by the 10% given by the people of Israel, right? And that's what it was. And so that provided, they helped provide for the priests. They helped provide for all the different people who worked in the religious life, providing for all those kinds of things. But that wasn't all of their giving, was it? They had giving to uh, widows and orphans. That was a secondary offering ever later on in the year. So really, in all honesty, um, when you want to think about what was generally expected of the average Jewish person, Israelite, it was probably more like 20 to 25 percent. Now, some of that, some people say, well, it's taxes and you know, offerings were like taxes, and I, and I get that. But the reality is, I think when we talk about 10 percent, we should probably look at that as probably a, a good starting place, but it shouldn't be something that we... like. Anchor someone's like and put a noose around someone's neck when it comes to that. Because there are plenty of people who who are more than well off, and they think ten percent is is that. And when God could give them could give a whole to do a whole lot more, but then ten percent or some more than that. So I I, I want to make sure we say here we're not putting percentages on things, and uh, obedience and love and joy doesn't come from percentages. It doesn't come from that at all. But what we want to do is we want to, we want to look at how we give in such a way that we say, God, build discipline in me, build joy in me, build cheerfulness in me, build, help me grow in this so that, so that it's not, I'm not looking at this, so start somewhere. You know, again, I think 10% to me should be the floor, but some people can't even get to 10% yet, so let's start where we are, right? And keep trusting and building and moving forward and asking the Lord to help us have the other things, right? Being deliberate, being focused, being sacrificial in the way that we give i mean this is the way we want to think about when it comes to generosity standing before the lord and say lord what have you given me that i may offer now and be a part of the greater work that you're calling me to do and be a part of Um, that's why we want to think about it in that regard now as we kind of wrap up this sermon this morning I want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts with you. Now I said it a little bit. I mentioned it the first week, and I, and I kind of stepped into it a little bit earlier. Sometimes we can overcorrect when it comes to talking about money. We, we avoid it because we don't want to manipulate anyone else, but then we overcorrect and we don't talk about it at all. And so that's my first point as I conclude my thoughts is, I want to say to you, as your pastor, as one of your shepherds, I know this is an area that has been neglected in my own teaching and preaching and i say that not because i'm sitting here hanging all kinds of guilt on myself but because at the end of the day i don't want to do that anymore not because i want to necessarily make everything about money every two seconds but because i don't plan to browbeat anyone for money that's not how this is going to work but i want. To plan on building with you, you and I together, us the, the elders and the, the congregation—they're all the congregation together. We want to plan to be deliberate in cultivating a culture of generosity at Grace Church. That's the whole goal, right? A culture of generosity that highlights and highlight ways that generosity can resonate through our little church more and more. So that at the end of the day, when the people out there in the world who are, who are struggling to make ends meet, or maybe they're struggling to understand why our world keeps making this, the silly policies that it's making and getting focused on all other side issues, they can look at this church and just say, "Man, we are resolutely focused on being generous people, and we want to display that in every way we possibly can. I want to build with you a deliberate culture of generosity. That's why I hope we'll be there. And so I don't know about you, but I have, as I've been going through this series, I've been working on this for several months. I have been so overwhelmed at God's grace towards me in these last months. I have been overwhelmed by even the rehashing some of the things I've read about months ago and thinking about them and just seeing how God's already been faithful in some ways and showing that, and I'm just inviting you to join me in that. It's a journey not towards perfection. It's not a journey towards being, uh, 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 to, 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 to being a blind faith, but it's a journey to saying, God, help us be a culture of generosity. Gabe said it earlier, it's time, talent, and treasure. It's all of it. That's what we've said a lot here at our church, but I do want to make sure we understand that that does involve our giving, doesn't it? So I want to make sure you understand, like, what we've overcorrected, we're going to try to have a good balance on that, if at all possible, the Lord's help. So then, with that being said, two thoughts come to mind as a kind of encouragement to us, a challenge to us. First, it's an individual challenge to each of us, myself included. And and, and wherever you stand, however you're processing what we've talked about this morning or throughout this series, here's what I would ask for us to do. Let's each of us take a step forward wherever we are today. Wherever that step forward is, put it before the Lord and be deliberate and be focused and be sacrificial and be generous with where we are today. Start with where you are. Ask the Lord to help you and make the plans to move forward. Micah Micah 3, verses 10 through 11. This has always been used by um, in in almost every giving sermon I've ever heard. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Step forward, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not only and if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need see friends it's not our job to find more resources for god that's not what we're asking you to do when you go home go find more resources for god no it's our job to set our resources that he has given to us before him and to be used for his, as he wills so let's take one step forward again Pick up the copy of the little book that I've lost here. That's the little guide right here. If this is where you're in, you need some good helps to think through this fresh and new. I promise you, you'll be deeply encouraged if you walk through this. Walk with, this, with your spouse if you're married. If you're a single adult or a new, step forward and just ask the Lord to say, God, how? How can we take the resources you've given us, lay them before you, and trust that you will use it as you will? Pick up that book. And trust the Lord. Test Him. Test Him to see if we can participate in the goodness of His work and see if He'll just make sure that, and provide for us. He'll, he'll do it. That's not just let us take a step individually. It also encumbers us, it encompasses a, a kind of step forward congregationally. Again, as I said earlier, I don't, I don't want stewardship and generosity to be a one-off sermon series. I want it to be part of the fabric of our church. And in some ways and in many ways it actually already is i mean the way you guys step forward for one another and provide for one another and things that happen in this church that i would go i hear news almost every week i'm like oh i didn't i had no idea that was happening beautiful i want i want us to have more of that all right i want to see god do things in ways that we can't possibly imagine so Throughout 2024, I hope we will, be, we will try to find ways to put opportunities before you more regularly so that we can then demonstrate more tangible generosity. And I'm going to give you one option here in just a moment. Because what I want to do is more than just this one series I want to call us to examine and it calls us to examine our giving today. What I, what I want to do is find us to help get counseled out to people who, so we, and work with one another so that we can help each other really um, trust the Lord. So, next month, we have a, one of our missionary families will be in stateside. Emma and Gabriel are And as you know, they're in Romania, and they are setting to get work going in Kazakhstan, uh, and, and, uh, Costanza. And uh, we'll staying in decent touch with them, and some of their giving's not quite where it needs to be at um, for them. We've been holding our line. We've been giving to them uh, pretty steadily as far as our budget's concerned. But here's what I'd love to do between now and they'll be here on the 18th, okay? Uh, I think they fly in on the 17th i may see if he can preach that sunday but he may be too jet lagged to preach so we'll find out here in a few weeks if you've never heard gabriel preach he's fantastic but anyway i would love for us to do a love offering for him just a a love offering whatever the lord brings in trust that and so what we're going to do starting today if you feel like you would like to give an offering that is over and above whatever you would normally give so that we can love them and show them uh, the generosity of christ in us and 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 we can bless them and bless them perhaps abundantly there and he says i would just ask you to join me in that and so then we'll on the day we'll we'll present them and with whatever gift it is that you have given to them between them so if you're going to give physically the sunday prior to that the 11th will be the last Sunday you could give in person but you can give online we'll set up you can give it to our missions offering and just designate it that way if you want to give over and above that to help us support Gabriel and Emma, they're doing some fantastic work, and we're so excited to be a part of the work that God is doing through them as a church, okay? Now, I say that to say this. The Lord is faithful, and we operate from our generosity. Our generosity operates from God's generosity. And as we prepare now for the Lord's table to come here, this is, as we've said every week, I think, since in the series, is this is a visible display of God's generosity towards us. We come and we partake of the body broken for us, of the blood spilt for us. We, we do this as a ten, every week. It's a gift God gives us so that what? We will be reminded of the great generosity He has had for us in Christ. And so that's what I want to prepare our hearts for now. Not our own actions, our own worthiness, but we come in utter dependence and need of the one who has been the most generous in all of history in all eternity that God would use that to spring from us just such joy to participate in the work he's called us to do Father this morning as we come and we finish up our time this is a tough topic to talk about it's challenging it's challenging for me but God, I know that the springboard, the foundation of any efforts that I make or any efforts that any individual makes or any family makes in this church um, will come from the generosity that you have shown us in Jesus. And that we would get to participate in this because this is a blip. This life, this 80 years that we will spend on this rock is a blip and compared to eternity. So now we get to come and we need to rest in that truth because we have been found by Jesus and been given new life in Jesus and have our sins forgiven and cleansed because of Jesus. And now we have the joy to live this life out in Jesus. So, God, whatever you're doing in our hearts this morning, help us come here with fresh joy, even this morning. We love you. It's in Christ's name.